Late Night Conversations with Patricia Nduli. Ten minutes after ten on SFM one oh four to one oh seven FM nationwide. My name Patricia Dooley. We are talking science and environmental conversations. I'd like to welcome uh, Professor Matthews Dipinar, a groundwater expert from the University of Pretoria. Thank you very much for joining us, Professor Dipinar. Thank you, Patricia, for having me. Today we are talking about uh, the fact that COVID-19 burials could possibly um, increase the water pollution risk in our countries because as we're looking at the fact that uh, the the death toll of the COVID-19 is ever increasing, are we prepared as South Africa for the mass burials that could possibly take place like we saw in other countries, Brazil, uh, the USA, Italy and the likes? Uh, Patricia, mostly South Africa tend to do our burial sites fairly strictly and how we site them. So continuing how we are doing it, we are fairly well sorted. The biggest risk, obviously, is handling the bodies of the deceased from which there is still possible contagion. And then if we are ever in a bad position where we will be faced with mass burials, then obviously the siting of cemeteries need to be done a bit differently because now suddenly there there's a bigger load of bodies. But South Africa is quite well established in our cemetery protocols. Well, that's good to know uh, that uh, we do have protocols. And a bit later on, I'd like you to perhaps take us through. In fact, let's do that now. Let's look at what these protocols are so that South Africans are at rest and you allay our fears when it comes to such. We know that uh, the South African Cemeteries Association, SACA, has given out guidelines and um, said how burials should be uh, um, conducted, especially during this pandemic time. Could you take us through some of these guidelines? Yes, okay, so basically what we try to do when we site cemeteries is we try to build time so that if water moves through the ground, that there's enough time that passes by for any possible pollution to break down. So we place these sites in soils that are deeply, or deep soils that are excavatable, that's significant distances from groundwater or surface water, so that when we have water moving through these graves and they start moving, say, some of these contaminants, such as viruses and bacteria with them, uh, that it gradually breaks down those, those, those pathogens before it reaches groundwater and other receptors. So how we investigate with that is by doing proper environmental impact assessment and water use licenses to ensure that this happens. Uh, In the instance of something like this virus, for instance, we rely on the fact that the viruses stop reproducing once once their host dies. In other words, if someone dies with COVID, for instance, with or, well, regardless of what the cause of death is, the virus will start dying off. So all we need to do is have enough time in the subsurface to ensure that that virus is completely dead before it possibly reaches the groundwater which is quite a short time that we need because the viruses don't tend to survive very long outside of a host. What is very long, uh, Professor Dipinar? Hours to days, probably. Very much like we are talking about surfaces. Uh, we disinfect for short term, you know, maybe a few days. It's not something like when we look at some bacteria where we sit with longer time concerns where they could possibly survive 
for weeks to months, you know, so these die off quite quickly within a day or very few days. And mostly you need much longer times than days to mobilize water from the surface to the groundwater. Now, when we are aware that microbiologists and scientists alike have said that other viruses like polio can move through soil and groundwater, and it is possible that even the novel coronavirus could do the same. You're saying maybe within a day or a couple of hours, then the virus loses its impact. But how certain are we as South Africans that our water will not be contaminated? Okay, so firstly, let me just disclaim by saying that no one has had the time to test it specifically for the SARS-CoV-2 virus yet. But apart from that, uh, even if it does happen, it will still not survive because it's still without a host. So even if it does reach water, and it, uh, which is a possibility, it is still dead in that form. So in other words, given that it's a virus specifically mm-hmm. and that it doesn't have a very long anticipated survival rate outside of the host, it is possible, but it is not the biggest risk that we anticipate. If that is an instance, then we would much rather be concerned about bacteria that are associated with decomposition than we would be with this virus specifically. You know, I'm, I'm glad that you were very open and honest and made the statement that uh, no one has had the time to test its impact um, w- within the water bodies um, once a person has passed away and been buried. However, we are using theology and uh, scientific knowledge from the past. But does that really, is that enough to allay our fears as South Africans that our water will not be contaminated? I'm of the belief that it is, yes, because we know what we're doing and I believe we have quite good guidelines in South Africa and most places in the world. And the only instances where this can really maybe be more of a concern than it currently is, is if we start to suddenly bury enormous amount of people in poorly sited land. But once again, our investigation protocols are designed for worst-case scenario to supply enough residence time to kill off most of these biological concerns so that whatever is released from the body will very likely die off. So still I think that as, as long as we don't take shortcuts and bypass the proper system, we might have to speed or to streamline it to do it a bit quicker. Uh, but as long as we stick to the rules of the distances from water sources and the certain soil types that we go for and proper filling back of the graves and the correct depths, correct sanitary handling, then there is no additional risk that we should be concerned of at this stage. Well, Obviously, something can change, but not that we know of yet. We are talking about COVID-19 burials and uh, their possibility of increasing water pollution risk in South Africa, uh, especially as the death toll is rising. This is SAFM Late Night Conversation. And I'm talking to Professor Matthews Dipinar, a professor in groundwater uh, from the University of Pretoria. You can join in on the conversation. Give us your view and let us know how you feel about um, the possibility of water being contaminated or even if you don't have the fear because you are aware of why 
what scientists, microbiologists and experts like Professor Depenard have uh, cited to us. So the number that you can send us a WhatsApp on is 0614-104-107 or you can call us on 891 SFM leading the conversation. Now I'd like to come here now, um, Professor, you have spoken about the fact that there are guidelines and this does make us a bit comfortable. But what then happens when the death toll increases to such a level that we need to have mass uh, graveyards, sometimes even um, uh, trenches where 20 bodies are buried in one particular trench? What will this then mean to the water security in South Africa? Will it not change where we are right now or if we end up using poorly sited graveyards? Uh, in the instance of mass grass, Patricia, the idea is that you simply increase the load of possible pollutants by having more bodies in one area in a shorter time span. So, theoretically, yes, that is the case. But then, again, with the persistence or the survival rate of this virus being fairly short-term in the environment, as we expect, you will still have a very low likelihood of substantial amount of that virus reaching groundwater in an alive state. Even if it does reach water, it is still not going to procreate. It's still going to die off. So even if it gets detected in a tap or in a borehole somewhere, it will still very likely be in dead state. Also, we should continue, of course, especially in proximity of spaces where something like mass burial might take place, to still chlorinate or appropriately treat the water before we drink it. There are very good instructions about how to self-chlorinate water locally uh, from the departments, from the Water Research Commission. So once you just always ensure that you sanitize water by using bleach or using appropriate solutions correctly to just ensure that if any virus possibly survives, or even bacteria, there's a lot of E. coli or fecal colophobes that go out as well, that you treat water to get rid of those. Once again, we think that associated bacteria might be a bigger issue because they can survive a bit longer usually. I myself am not a microbiologist, but typically, once again, these viruses are treated well with our normal water treatment processes. Um, so, go ahead. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's it, Professor. So, Professor, I've got Bronwyn on the line. Bronwyn is calling just around the corner from where I am right now in Auckland Park. Thank you very much for joining us, Bronwyn. How are you this evening? Uh, I'm fine, thank you. Excellent. Um, yeah, I, I was just, just calling because I had a colleague um, 10 days ago had to go and bury her nephew in rural KwaZulu-Natal. And um, they don't have any of those rules there. They they uh, buried him on a plot on a family farm uh, with not particularly deep and a pile of rocks on top. And so all the ideas of, of safety and protecting groundwater don't seem to um, be um, relevant there. 
You know, um, as a person who also is from a rural uh, area, Bronwyn, I understand exactly what you're saying because it's homesteads that we use to uh, bury our family members and the burial sites are usually next to each other. And if a person has passed away from COVID-19 and we are not aware that it, they, they had um, the, the, the virus and they were asymptomatic and they passed away because of other reasons and they are buried in such a site, what will then happen? I think that's what your concern is as well, Brian. Yes, I think it would be, be very dangerous, and I think it would be great if people could consider cremation, if they could get over the cultural and psychological hurdles about that. Thank you so very much, Brof Bronwyn. Uh, let's uh, go to Professor. Professor, let's uh, let's let's address what Bronwyn is saying because it is quite a concern. So these guidelines that have been given are guidelines that could or possibly are implemented in uh, cities, but in peri-urban areas and in rural areas, it's difficult to implement such guidelines when people are being buried in their own homesteads. Yes, Patricia, and thank you, Bronwyn. It's a very important question. The reason why I'm not even mentioning cremation is because that is the default better option, not necessarily environmentally, but definitely in terms of health. But we respect that there are cultural rights and human rights. So if you want to be buried, it is your right to do so. So starting from there and assuming that burial is going to take place, private burials is a bit of an issue because... Obviously, the placement of those sites aren't optimal. So there's a pro and a con here because the pro side is the fact that you tend to have on these homes it's a very low concentration of possible contamination because it's one body in a fairly, you know, fairly long intervals. So it's not the load of there being tens of burials per week that will be vastly increased in space due to COVID. So in other words, in the one side, it's usually okay just by thinking that it's one burial in six months taking place in those areas. However, that's not always the case. And the two bad things about these homestead conditions is that, one, there's no sanitary handling of the body that's being monitored. And if it's not being buried properly deep, then it implies that you have a direct surface access to the corpse. Uh, that has happened and that can happen, which means you can have animals or you can have people touching the rocks or stuff like that where you have the surface contamination from the body. It's still not going to the groundwater because in that aerated system, the virus will probably still die off. A secondary, very important constraint we tend to see in the more rural and peri-urban areas is the fact that the burial site serve a purpose also of having amenities that the area surrounded doesn't have. That's where the borehole is, that's where the power is, that's where the tap is. So in other words, what happens there then is that you bring the receptors, which are the people who can be affected by the poor hygienic state of water or a cemetery. You bring them to the cemetery because that's an area of comfort and an area of convenience. So the bigger issue in those instances would be that the body itself and the stones and the poor practices can have a secondary surface on which contamination can happen, or that you bring just people closer to water that's not being treated by having a bore or close to a, a homestead burial site, for instance. So that's a problem that, yes, 
it's hard to manage and monitor those. You know, it's very sad that it's hard to manage and monitor. And we are, we have associations such as uh, the South African Cemeteries Association. We've got, uh, you know, various um, environmental and health departments. We've got academics. We've got biologists who are out there. But I think most of our concentration when it comes to health and safety and the environment is mainly on cities and urban areas, whereas the rural and peri-urban areas are really not given enough attention. Even the education, I mean, Today is my first time hearing that there are guidelines as to how people should be buried in terms of how deep it should be, what are some of the things people should do. But you can only imagine, Professor, how many people in the rural areas are going to be continuing with the practices that we may call poor in inverted commas, but it's because of a lack of knowledge under these pandemic circumstances. Absolutely, absolutely. And one can always start by saying that a healthy environment is also a healthy society, and the two go hand in hand. And obviously in the urban areas, there seems to be more focus solely due to the number of people living there or the population. Um, but yes, I do agree. Education needs to go well beyond that, and we we have a duty to be consistent in how we treat sensitive topics like this. Mm. And uh, I've got here from Dion. Dion says a uh, nice question. Uh, and now, Professor, how about the virulent uh, circumlative impact on groundwater due to large numbers of Muslim burials? Remember, they have to be buried the same date of death. Yes, um, there are concerns also about being immediately buried as well as burial following you know, being in state over a prolonged time, for instance. So, uh, in terms of the virus, for instance, once again, the biggest issue is ensuring that the body is clean and that you don't interact with a possible contaminated surface, which in this instance is the body. Uh, for long-term impact, it should theoretically not make much difference because, once again, as soon as you're dead, the virus starts dying off. Uh, so you are fairly safe in that regard. Uh, so all in all, that should make no no distinct difference. Once again, we don't really know how long this virus survives, but we know it's not going to be weeks and months. I so immediate burial should pose no additional danger. I sure hope, I sure hope that, um, you know, we can get to a point where we are aware as to how long the virus survives once a person is deceased and how long does it take to permeate through the, the, the body, into the soil, into the water. Because as South Africans, we believe our water that we drink from our taps is safe, but we are not really aware because scientists have not gone through the process. I've got um, a WhatsApp here and then we go to Anonymous. The WhatsApp says cremation is so much more environmentally friendly than full burials and should be seriously considered. Do you agree with that, Professor? You know, it's always a sale of uh, when we bury, we take land that has a very high economic value because it's nice deep soils, that's dry soils, you know, it's good available land that we use for a purpose that doesn't generate income and we put at risk possible water sources for pollution. And the, at the other end of this debate, we have cremation, which is very energy dependent, 
which has a consequence to the air quality locally. So it's a trade-off. You choose one. I personally think also, yes, we are running out of proper space for burial, so it is time to consider the alternatives, simply because in a country like South Africa, we have a tendency where cemeteries aren't remote. Wherever there's a cemetery, it's very rapidly encroached. Very often because that's the only amenities, but also because we have a culture of maintaining graves or wanting to go to those places. So, yes, I support cremation more than burial, but once again, we must respect that people's rights are there to be buried and that it takes a generation or two to change the mindset of a, of a collective. Well, like you say, it's a catch-22 when it comes to the environment. Uh, let's go to Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you very much for holding. Warm welcome to you. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Uh, Patricia and Tuli, first time on your show. Welcome. <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. We okay, appreciate you. you. Darling. Mm-hmm. I just want to say, you know, Muslim, my brother-in-law passed away, and they dug up the graves. And by the time they had arranged for the necessary bathing and everything else of his, uh, you know, body, and um, the, 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 there was a big flood, and his grave, the, the grave that they dug up, was flooded. And they couldn't bury him. We had to wait for hours for them to uh, remove the water and dry up the water with the heaters. I don't know what they were using to remove and dry up the water. And he was buried a few hours later, not like with the immediate effect. You know, we had to wait for that. So um, I just thought, because I heard you speak about Muslim, you know, when it's flooded and you have to bury at the same time. Mm. And also, I don't like our few, uh, I don't like to be buried on the, uh, on the same grave as the next person because I don't know if there's a male buried there or a female buried in that particular, um, you know, spot where they're going to bury me. Thank you so very I much. I have to speak to the institutes and mm. ask them if they can separate the, you know, the males from the females. Firstly, I want to say thank you very much, Anonymous, for, for coming forward and, and sharing your story with us because it's a religious but also a very personal one. And condolences to you and your family for the passing thank of you your so brother-in-law. But wh- one you thing so I want to find out is w- when, when you have to wait for, for the, the groundwater or the, the water from the rain to, to subside and for you to be able to bury, um, what then, and, and I'm asking this to Professor Matthews because I'm sure, Anonymous, you would also want to hear this answer, what then is, is the impact if the person had COVID-19 when they passed away? Because there is water that's still um, permeating the ground and now the water is a bit lower in terms of levels and then we bury. What will the impact be? Ideally, we would not want standing water in the grave. So we put in a, we really don't want that. And obviously sometimes it does happen, but that is typically where you would terminate that extension of the burial land because that you don't want to submerge the bodies directly into water. I know it happens often, um, but it's not ideal because you want the body to be in a condition where it can be digested organically, you know, where it can break down and being submerged in water is not optimal for that. Also, the direct water flooding of the grave gives an immediate pathway for possible pollution. And if you now just for a moment forget about the virus, that also includes any metals that's buried with you. It includes everything that leaches from the body. So in other words, you don't want to be in direct contact with water. In terms of the virus, however, 
still it's considered that this virus will still continue dying off fairly rapidly without a host. Um, much like you know, there's no legal requirement for you to declare any cause of death. So the same thing as with this coronavirus now also happened with previous flu-type viruses or with the HIV virus, you know, or the whole series of possible bacteria that people can die of with. So that is nothing new. That cause of death was very possibly pathogenic through a virus or a bacteria. And that just hasn't changed because mm. we don't expect this virus to be more resistant to survive or more likely to survive in the environment. We don't expect it to be more likely to survive in the environment regardless. And, and in terms of allaying Anonymous's fears, I mean, Anonymous uh, is speaking about the fact that... Hello? She, yes, Anonymous, I know you're still uh, there. Okay, I just want yeah? to say, should we, should we not disinfect, uh, you know, infect uh, the grave uh, before burial with the COVID-19 situation? Yes, you should. And there were, uh, World Health Organization... I'll, I'll listen on the radio. Thank you very much, Anonymous. Thanks. Go ahead, yeah, Professor. Uh, disinfection, yes. We want ideally disinfection, but that is because of the virus's rapid rate of transmission on contact from body fluids. So in other words, the fact that you have died off means that the virus will also start dying off, but you are still a surface on which that virus can be attached while it is still alive, busy, not procreating and dying off. So that's the same as a doorknob. You know, for the same reason we disinfect our hands at shops, you should do the same with the body, simply to prevent transmission in that window that the virus is possibly still transmissible. So is the responsibility of disinfecting a deceased bo- uh, person's body um, lying on the family or is it lying on the authorities from the morgues? You know, we have such an intricate system when it comes to burial in South Africa. I would assume in some instances it would be the undertakers, in other instances the family. Um, it would be the personal entity taking responsibility of the body, I would assume. Uh, I'm not 100% certain. It's not something you would want to do with your loved one, so I would hope that there would be someone else who can do it on your behalf. Professor, just as we are about to close off, uh, let me just do a couple of the WhatsApps that I've got here. Um, In response to water being contaminated by COVID-19, we as a nation should adapt to boiling our water and also adding jig before drinking it. Would this help us? This is from uh, Anonymous. You should drink treated water. In South Africa's tap water is treated. Um, If you are taking water from a borehole and you're close to agricultural land or waste or cemeteries or anything, yes, you should. But it's easy enough to Google or just go to something like the Water Research Commission site to find the correct dosage. Because overdoing the bleach is also not healthy. So just don't overdo it. But yes, you should ideally want to treat your water for pathogens or microbiology, which we do through bleach or chlorine.
It's it's very sad that everything that needs to be done is Googleable, but not everyone has access to Google, especially in the rural context. And it it really saddens me the fact that even the you know decontaminating of water, if it comes from a borehole or agricultural place, it won't necessarily be done by those who are much in need, who don't have the running water that is already clean. But I know this is not your turf. <laughs> you are not the powers that be. You are not the water authority, Professor. Let's let's go on to to another question here. Um, and oh, oh, okay, I think we've lost that one. But it's okay. Yeah, I think yeah. Let's wrap it up. I think my producer is telling me no. It's enough, Patricia. Wrap it up now, <laughs> Professor. <laughs> just to make everyone comfortable, um, is our water safe with mass burials of COVID nineteen? Yes or no? Yes. There's no reason to worry yet, and we are monitoring it. So we are looking ahead, and we are diligent. And we haven't forgotten about it. But if if it ever gets to that, we are thinking about it. Thank you so very much uh, for your time and your... Your, your wisdom, and I hope that in future, and when I say future, literally in a couple of hours, we'll know exactly how long does this particular virus take to permeate into water after a person has been buried. Thank you very much, Professor Matthews Dippenard. Thank you, Patricia. Have a lovely evening. You too. SFM leading the conversation. My name is Patricia Nduli. The team and I are doing our best to make sure we get through to all your calls and also all your WhatsApps and voice notes and SMSs. Unfortunately, sometimes when the producer says, time out, Patricia, it's time out, and I can't get through to all of them. So make sure that you send those messages as soon as we start the topic because we only have so much time for each and every topic. This is Late Night Conversation. Conversation.